Good morning. My name is Elizabeth Maxwell and I'm doing the Bible reading this morning. And our Bible reading is coming from Acts 16, verses 11 to 34. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some up the back. Please help yourself. And that's our gift to you. So Acts 16, verses 11 to 34. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, sorry, we went outside the city gates to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by the fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I commend you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourselves, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before him. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. 
he and his whole household. Well, good morning, everyone, and um, it's wonderful to be here. Happy Father's Day. Uh, my name's James, and I've got the joy of opening up God's Word this morning. So can I just encourage you, have God's Word in front of you now as we come to our series in Unstoppable um, in the book of Acts. And let's ask God to help us now as we come to this passage. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for a new day, a new day where we have your Word in front of us, that you've made yourself known to us. And we pray this morning that as we come to this um, you know, big story that you'll just instill into us a sense of confidence in your gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was a newlywed. I was only a couple of months in, um, settling into being a young married couple. And it was, a, it was a Monday night. I remember it vividly. And I wanted to instill confidence rather than doubt with my lovely wife, Ali, that I had the culinary skills to cook a very good meal. And so it's a Monday night, she's heading out. And I said, Dale, I'll cook dinner. And it's this moment I want to instill confidence, not doubt. And so I said, I'm going to cook you my, my signature dish. I've been a bachelor for a long time. I've been living on my own for years. And I had a key signature dish. It was a pasta bake. It was mince and one of those jars of stuff you stick in it. And you put pasta, you got to boil pasta, put a bit of salt, put a bit of cheese, put it in the oven, and I cook it. And so this night I said, I'll do it. I'm going to instill confidence in you for the future, not doubt that my culinary skills are up to scratch. And so as my lovely wife heads out as a newly young couple, we're a newly wed couple, I said, I'm going to cook dinner, I'm going to do my signature dish. And I said, now I need mints. Now, where do I get it from? She said, there's some mints in the freezer. I had a quick look. There's lots of bags. I said, well, what mints do I use? And there's this 500 gram bag. And then there's all these other stuff. And she said, just use the mints in the freezer. Just use all of it that's there. I'm like, okay, no worries. So I've taken that. And I've taken this big bag of mints. And there's these seven other bags. And I've taken them as well. And I put them there and I'm cooking away and I'm cooking and I've put them in the same frying pan. One looked okay, the other had a real, it looked like it was dyed, like you know, red, it was really weird and it sort of took a lot to, to cook. The other cooked quick and I'm, I'm mixing it together thinking this is not really, there's something wrong here, but I thought she said use all the mints. So I thought I'll do that and I've cooked all this mince up, I put salt in it and it didn't smell much, but I cooked it. I pulled it out of the oven, put extra cheese because you've got to get the crunch of the cheese on top. And, and I took a bite of it and I thought, something that's not quite right here with this, this, this pasta bake. And I thought, oh, it'll be right because I'm going to instill confidence, not doubt that I'm a culinary chef. And, 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 and when something doesn't taste well, you just put more tomato sauce and salt and you get it down, right? So I got my feed down. Al gets back at 10 o'clock. And she said, have you, got, you cooked dinner? I said, yes, I have. And I've cooked my famous pasta bake. She said, oh, that's good. And she took one bite and she said to me, she said, there's something not right. She said, what, if, what mince did you use? And I said, I used all the mince in the freezer. She said, you didn't use all the bags of mince? I said, yeah. She said, that's the cat food. <laughs> and I'd, 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 you know, I'd, I'd cooked a cat mince. <laughs> now, in that moment, I did not instill confidence. I instilled doubt. That for the next six months, every time I said I was going to cook, she doubted my culinary skills. But I, I do wonder whether as Christians, or you're here today, there's moments where you've got instilled doubt because as you've taken the gospel out, not everyone's, you think, is, is, is the gospel actually for everyone? 
or as you've gone out in your workplace or as you look around and you see the vast vast cultures or just your experience, I wonder, have you been doubting that, that the gospel is to go to all the nations? As you've experienced rejection or as you've gone out this week or or, or you reflect back on life, there's those great moments where you doubt, going, I'm not sure, you know, is the church even going to grow? It seems like it's shrinking. Is the church even going to grow over the next hundred years or will it just shrink and shrivel away? just don't know. And, And there's a sense of doubt about that. Or maybe you're here and you're actually a skeptic, you're sort of just questioning what Christianity is about, you're a seeker, and you think, yeah, I've got doubt about Christianity as well. I, 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 is it actually going to have an impact on, like, I think it's going to die. It looks around, is Christianity really the answer? Christianity only appears to be for the people who are religious and those people that come to a building on a Sunday. And so you doubt. Or, or maybe you're here today, right, and, and you're just here because it's Father's Day. Mum's told you you've got to be here. And so you're here and you know that if you're not here, you're not going to get lunch and you may not get your inheritance. And so just to keep your mum happy, you've turned up and you're here today, stuck here with us. And maybe you are and you're doubting, you're going, Dad's, Dad's a Christian, but I really doubt that, that the Christianity is for me. So today we're coming to Acts chapter 16 and I reckon it, it answers the question, it actually answers the question for us that... How can we have confidence? Why can we have confidence rather than doubt as we take the gospel to Western Sydney and beyond? I reckon it's going to answer that because it's going to remind us of some truths about the gospel. I think Acts chapter 16 is a passage that instills confidence, not doubt. See, for us, when you come to Acts chapter 16, you can get bogged down in a lot of detail and you miss the point of the whole book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 reminds us that it's about the risen Lord Jesus who's gone to heaven, who's through his life, death and resurrection, he's had victory over sin and death, he's ascended to heaven, he's empowered his people by the Holy Spirit to go out and to share the good news of Jesus. And he says to these Jewish disciples who've become Christian, he says, therefore go to all nations, go to the Jews, go to Judea, go to Samaria and go to the ends of the earth. Now for a Jewish person, that's quite Um, it's quite intense, it's quite offensive to think, hang on, Samaritans are going to be Christians? They hated the Samaritans, let alone to go to the rest of the world. See, Jewish men, when they woke up and they pray the Jewish prayer book, they would pray a prayer every morning like this, thank you God that I'm not a woman, that I'm not a slave and I'm not a Gentile. That was their view of the other cultures. And we come to this passage where I think Acts 16 is a really confident passage for us as followers of Jesus. Because last week, Pastor AJ talked about Acts chapter 15. There was, been, there's been, um, there was a bit of in-house unsureness about, is the gospel for everyone? You know, the Jewish Christians, some of the leaders are saying, no, you've got to be circumcised to be saved. They had a community meeting and they realized that gospel clarity said, no, the gospel is for everyone. You're saved by grace, not by circumcision. And so they've decided that, no, there's great clarity that the gospel is for all people and you're saved by grace, you're saved by Jesus. And Acts 16 comes straight after that, which I reckon really is where the rubber hits the road. It's actually going to show us with confidence that what's been decided is real. Do you ever find yourself doubting? That lives will really be changed, that lives will 
who have lost, people who have lost everything can find Jesus? Or is it for the wealthy and the prestige? Can they find it? Well, today I reckon we're going to see, we're going to see that we can have confidence instead of doubt as we take the gospel and make disciples of Jesus to Western Sydney, that we can have confidence in it. And here's three reminders of why. And the first one is because the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is actually for everyone. This good news of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, that we can have life, forgiveness and redemption in him is for all people. It crosses all cultural divides. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. There's no one outside the scope of the gospel. And I reckon that's what Acts 16 is reminding us of. Remember back in Acts chapter 1, they go to the ends of the earth. Here they are in Europe and the gospel comes to Europe. It's probably 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And we see that they've come to Philippi. And Paul goes to incredible depths to tell us that it's not just a city called Philippi, but it's a leading city and it's part of the Roman colony. Like it's, This is a big, important place where there's important people. And we have this encounter. Paul, as they take the gospel to Europe, they have this encounter with three people. And what we see in this encounter, I reckon, is that the gospel is for everyone. We encounter Lydia. Lydia, look at, look at verse 12. Sorry, verse 14. We encounter a very wealthy woman. One of those listening. See, Paul, they're gone out. There's obviously no Jewish synagogue because there's got to be 10 Jewish men to have one. And so here we see that they've got to go outside the city for a day of prayer and then verse 14 one of those listing was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia and and Luke goes to a lot of detail to tell us that she's a dealer in purple cloth <coughs> now this idea of purple cloth tells us right she's got bling she's got wealth she's a very smart businesswoman she's got a lot of money she owns she owns a company where she sells purple cloth and can I tell you ladies that the business isn't Valley Girl or Cotton On. That's too low. You know, if you're going to go and shop at her company, it would be something like David Jones or Gucci, you know, with the handbags. Like, she's a high-class woman. Now, I don't know whether she would have owned a private jet, but, but that's the kind of person we are encountering here with Lydia. Wealth, prestige. She would have been known by the city. She's obviously got a couple of homes. Like, she takes them back to the home in Philippi. She's got a home from the city she's come from. Like... She's got everything and she's morally conservative. She reads, you know, she prays and worships God, but she doesn't know Jesus. And what happens? Paul engages her, speaks with her. She's interested. She's the kind of person who'd come along to church. Who'd say, I want to go check that out. And she's saved. Jesus opens her heart to respond to this gospel message. But then we encounter a slave girl in verse 16. Now, this is on the total opposite spectrum of where Lydia is. This is probably the lowest of lows. There isn't much more of a lower position in society than this slave girl. She owned nothing. She would have had nothing. She had no human rights. She was a nobody who would probably thought that she's always going to be a nobody who will never get out of this cycle and stay oppressed forever. She's enslaved spiritually and economically, and she's being taken advantage of by other people at her expense. And maybe today, it'd be like sex trafficking. She's a slave girl, oppressed. And, they, 
and she is set free. Now, the problem with that, though, is that it, it, it leads to Paul and Silas ending up in jail. They get beaten, so they've got a red raw back. They've got open wounds. They go to the most inner part of the jail, which probably means they're at the lowest point of the jail, which means that as they get put in their stocks, they're not exactly sitting upright. They're probably laying, and there's probably sewage everywhere. And these guys are singing hymns filled with joy, purely because the people aren't happy of what's happened to the slave girl. But then we, we encounter someone else, though, don't we? we? We encounter the jailer. Now, the jailer's probably ex-military. A lot of ex-military went to Philippi. They got a pension. They'd move there. They'd have to do a bit of work in the government sector. And he's probably end up being there as an ex-military guy who's fought for many years. He's hardened and he's got to work in a jail. And he's probably in between Lydia and the slave girl. He's probably a blue-collar worker. You know, your typical tradie. You know, he's worked hard. Everything he does is a physical. He's middle class. He works hard for what he gets. He does stuff. Tradies just do things. Don't tell me about information. Just let me, you just tell me what I've got to do and I'll go and do it. They work hard. They're hardened. And, you know, tr tradies, they brag in everything they have. Well, I've, I've at least physically earned this money, right? I've got a boat, I've got a fishing, you know, I might have a boat in the shed, I might have a motorbike, they've got a few toys, they've, paid, they've got their house, they've paid it off. A bit of the middle class, blue collar kind of person. He's worked for what he's got. But what happens in verse 25 is, about midnight, Paul and Silas, they're praying and singing. Verse 26, suddenly there's a, a violent earthquake, the prison's shaken, all the doors fly open. Verse 27, this jailer, he wakes up and he sees the prison doors are open and he draws his sword and was about to kill himself. He draws his sword because he knows he's going to be dead, right? If you're a jailer and people escape, you're going to be put to death because people have left and escaped under his care. But there's something about this man. He's been impacted by seeing Paul and Silas not leave. He's probably been impacted by hearing them sing and sing hymns and songs of joy. That there's something about this. He's like, the guy said, no, I don't need God. And yet he's noticed something about the way Paul suffers. And he goes, well, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And what we see here is we encounter that the gospel comes to Europe and people are saved, churches are planted and, you know, if, if you're a Jewish Christian, you might be thinking, there's no way that the gospel would get to Europe. Really? And yet this passage says that there's no one outside the reach of the gospel. There's no one too far gone. There's no one too rich. There's no one who, there's no tradie. There's no one, everyone needs the gospel. No one is too far gone. The gospel is for every single person. See, whereas the gospel, see, the gospel says it doesn't matter what race, it doesn't matter what walk of life. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter your wealth or even how much you do. The gospel says your salvation and your forgiveness comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And if the gospel is for everyone, it means today that there's no single person in this room outside the need of Jesus. There's no one outside the need in this room who doesn't need the gospel today. 
Because see, for us as a church, as we seek to make and grow disciples of Jesus, there's no one outside the need. Whether it's a train station at Blacktown, or whether it's on the heights of Winston Hills, or whether it's in the, the homes of Old Toon Gabby, or in the back streets of Prospect, no matter what walk of life you come from, the gospel is for all. The gospel is for everyone. So here we encounter, we encounter three people who are very, very different, all in need of the gospel of Jesus. And so Acts 16, I reckon it instills in us a confidence that the gospel is for everyone. We have this confidence instead of doubt as we make and grow disciples of Jesus in Western Sydney that the gospel is for everyone. But the reason it's for everyone is because it's a gospel that transforms. Why can we have confidence? Well, because the gospel transforms lives. The gospel transforms lives. That's, that's the second thing we're reminded of. That the gospel will really bring people from darkness to light. It will do that. Now, in, in, the, in, the tw- in the early 20th century, I mean, Great Britain in Wales, uh, the gospel went to Wales and it was undeniable the impact that Jesus Christ and his message had upon the people of Wales. It, it, it sort of went through in, in such a hurry that people's lives, miners and the working class, people that you would not expect to be saved were saved. And it had incredible impact on these little villages and these cities in Wales. It's undeniable. It actually had a lot of financial implications because in the mining sector, um, production reduced. The mines couldn't produce nowhere near as much as they could prior to these people finding Christ. It wasn't because the men and women weren't working hard. It was because the horses wouldn't do anything. The horses that they used to tow the mining carts because of such transformation in these miners' lives that the horses wouldn't move. They were so used to being kicked, whipped and sworn at that now these men that went down the mine shaft who wanted to move, they'd gone, who are these guys? It transformed and it affected the economy. And it also meant that some magistrates lost their jobs because the crime level in these places went lower. Now, now if, I, I don't know, if I, I think about myself, if I was to think about these miners from a moralistic point of view, or even maybe from a Jewish background, I'd just go, there's, there's no hope. Would they even listen? Would they even hear? And yet every day, we, I think we encounter people like this every day. Every, people like the jailer, like Lydia, like the slave girl. As you go out to work on Monday and you're on the building site, and you talk with a tradie who says, I don't need God. Like, I'm doing pretty well for myself. I've got what I've earned because I'm a doer. Or as you head into the city on your train and you get into the, in, into the city and, and you're hanging out with the high flyers and they've got $3,000 suits and they, they go to the restaurants every night of the week. Beautiful people with plenty of wealth. Or as you sit in a counselling office somewhere in, in a suburb and you talk with someone who's in the cycle of oppression because of their family or even abuse, who's got an inner, inner mental battle going on saying, I'm a no hope with no good and I'm stuck in this spiral because of my family. Or the no good who's being exploited by a family member. It's actually in those moments that we can be reminded and instilled with confidence that the gospel, as we take it, it will transform lives. It's not going to tra- 
it's not going to transform everyone, but, but it's a gospel that transforms. So you've got Lydia. She's got wealth and prestige. You know, she probably flies a private jet. But she opens up her home and invites the church in. You know, by the end of chapter 16, it is the pondering the question. I wonder whether the slave girls there and the jailer are in her house. She transforms and she welcomes people into her home. You've got the slave girl who was, who was enslaved, who was caught up spiritually and economically. She was enchained, who was treated as property, whose life has now been so transformed. She's been set free that in verse 19, her owners are so devastated that they can no longer make any money out of her. Or the jailer, the jailer who is enslaved, the, the trader who's enslaved to his job, that if he doesn't perform, he dies, who's been set free. Racially, socially, psychologically, this businesswoman, this slave girl and this jailer, they're, they're just miles apart. There's no bigger, you couldn't ask for a much bigger difference and yet all three have been changed and transformed by the same gospel and have been welcomed into the family of God. Which reminds us that God is interested in every human being. No matter what their walk of life is, God takes people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, and he makes them his own. So it doesn't matter politically whether you're right wing or left wing. It's not going to matter how you vote in the coming referendum. That's not what unites us as people. We're all diverse. But the one thing that unites us is that we've been transformed by the good news of Jesus. Christ has transformed us and he brings us all with that complexity into the family of God. And Lydia has them in her home. And it means that for us, as we think about that the gospel transforms, it means that if we're following Jesus, we've been transformed. We've gone from light to darkness. But at the same time, God is at work in us now, making us and transforming us to be more like Jesus. Every other world religion says to be transformed, you must do it. Here's 10 tips. Here's five things to do. You read the top 10 books of Amazon and, and a lot of them are a help. They're help books, self-help books that say, here's what you must do to be transformed. But the biblical message is that it's God who transforms. Those things will never change your heart. They'll never change the heart of your kids. It's actually got to be a work of God in our lives. As the gospel comes and as we set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, or as we see him and look to the cross, as, as we understand who God is and we understand that, that it's his power that trans changes us. See, we, we live in a world that says we can transform ourselves. Now, I've, um, the last couple of weeks, now I'm on, I look at Facebook occasionally, and, and, and on Facebook, obviously, it's worked out you know, by the algorithms, like, you know, how old I am, that I'm 39. And for some reason, most days, this kind of stuff pops up on my screen. It's this kind of stuff that says, right, you're a 39-year-old man, you've got a belly, you've had kids, it means you no longer have a six-pack, I never had a six-pack, but it's telling me, it pops up every day. Here's something you can do. You're 35 to 39. Here's how you can transform your physical appearance. 6 a.m. this morning, that popped up. 
And it says, he's, he can, you know, go on. Like, I, I can tell you, don't you worry, I've looked, I want to look at it and to see, I really want it to be easy to get the six pack. I don't want to have to do 100 push-ups a day and 60 sit-ups. You know, I don't want to do that. But that's what they're saying. Hey, you can transform your life by doing these 10, 20 tips. Now, in a sense, it will work on my body for a while. But spiritually, we can't take ourselves from the dominion of darkness to light. We can't give ourselves new hearts. It's actually a work of God. It's God who transforms. It's the gospel that will transform lives, which gives us an incredible confidence that as we go to people it's not us it's God that as we share the gospel he'll transform now it is hard for us to think that way because it's really instilled into us that we want to transform people now when it, when it comes to parenting um, we often sometimes you know you think oh it wasn't the best choice you know you say kids if you pack the dishwasher if you what, go and put your clothes in the basket. If you go and sweep the house, you know, you, you tell your kids, you need to do this stuff. Then you can play the Xbox. Now, in that moment, you know what you've just, I've just done to our kids? We've told them that you get things in life, which is sort of true when you do things. But the problem with that, it leads to them thinking that you've got to do the same with God. So, yes, it is good for us to instill in our kids, hey, love God, love his word, grow them up into the discipline of his word. But often we think that if we just get them to have the right school marks, if we just think we get them to behave right, if we can just get them to sit in church right, that will transform them. That's not a biblical worldview. We can never transform them. It's a work of the gospel. It's a work of God that transforms and he gives us new hearts. We go from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And here we see three different people transformed. That it instills a sense of confidence in us that as we take the gospel to everyone, that the gospel transforms but the reason it can transform is because the gospel is powerful. It is all powerful. Why can we have confidence instead of doubt today as we make disciples of Jesus? Well, it's because the gospel is all powerful. The reason we can have confidence instead of doubt is because of the power of the gospel. Doubt arises when we think it's in our power. Did you notice that all three people empowered by Jesus they were all changed in verse 14 with Lydia the Lord opened her heart Jesus was at work with a slave girl it was in the name of Jesus it's not just a special name that you repeat over and over again no no when you talk about the name you're talking about the character and the power and who they are it was Jesus who did it and then with the jailer we have this earthquake and the doors are opened and Paul says it's Jesus who saves. So the very nature of the gospel, the very nature of the crucified Christ, the Christ who was buried, who was raised, and who on the third day he's seated, he's been a third day was raised from the grave, who's been ascended to heaven. That very nature, that's the very nature of the gospel that overcomes social constructs, culture 
and ethnic differences, not you. It's not in your power. And yet, what's the question that I think we all ask? That we often ask, what must I do? What must I do to be a better person? What must I do to be an early morning person? What must I do to lose weight? What must I do to have the happy family? What must I do? And in a way, it's so ingrained into our culture that we just ask that question, what must I do? And it's exactly the same question that the jailer asked. Did you notice that? The bloke who does. What must I do? He's a good tradie. What must I do to get to the next thing? See, he comes to Paul and he says, he expects that I have to do something else. What have I got to do now to get something from God? And how does Paul respond to him? He doesn't give him a list of 10 things to do. He doesn't give him a bunch of behaviours. He doesn't say, say a special few words. But what does he say? He says, look to Jesus. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. I was, I was reminded this week as I was preparing and, and, and studying on this passage and, and reading a sermon, I was, I was reminded of this passage in the book of Numbers chapter 21, where Israel, God's people, they, they were sort of pretty cranky with God. They were annoyed that he'd taken them from Egypt out to the wilderness. They're annoyed about food and hungry and they're complaining. And God sends snakes. And... They slimy and, and they bite people and, and they get poisoned and they start to die. And, 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 and God says to Moses, go and build a bronze snake and stick it in the ground and tell the people to look to it and they will live. And what blew me away as I was reading about this this week was that in that moment, do you notice that God's leveling the playing field? Because there would have been some men there there would have been some women there with some strength who said, I can do it. I can pick myself up and I can go to the bronze snake. There would have been others there who were totally incapable, sick, with no hope of getting up and walking to the bronze snake. But did you notice that, that the levels are playing field, that no matter whether you have a bit of strength or whether you don't, Moses says you look to the snake and you will live. See, the gospel is, look to Jesus. Whether you're Lydia, whether you're the jailer, whether you're the slave girl, it's not look to yourself, but it's look to Jesus. And why can he say, look to Jesus, believe in Jesus? Because Paul, later on as he writes to the church at Rome from Ephesus, he says, I'm not ashamed. See, you, we, we should be shameful of it in our own strength. But he says, no, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God that brings salvation first to the Jew and to the Gentile. Like see, Paul's recognised that as Jews have been saved and as Gentiles have been saved, he's realised it's the power of God. Later on, he says in 1 Corinthians, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the gospel isn't something you achieve, it's something you receive. The gospel isn't good advice, but good news of what Christ has done. It's a beautiful, just look. And what does it mean for us today to look? 
What does it mean for us to believe? Well, it's to move our weight and to put it on Jesus. It's to take the weight of our sin and our burden and our shame and to rest it upon Jesus. So I think one of the best ways to describe what faith looks like, it's like a chair. Um, I've got one here. Here we go. We're lucky to see it. It's like a chair. Faith is like a chair. That to sit on that chair, you just do it because you shift your weight from yourself to the chair. I have faith. I believe it's, it's not me holding myself up here in this moment. I'm doing nothing. I've just shifted all my weight to this chair. And that's what faith in Christ is. It's shifting and putting your weight and your life on Christ and everything he has given you. But see, the problem is, isn't it, for sometimes us as Christians, is that we've sat down, but a couple of years later we hop back up and we stand next to the chair and go, I'm starting to do this in my own strength. You know, like there's those moments where you're a bit like the jailer, where, where people who love to do, and we, we've shifted the way, we sort of, we're resting in our own resolve and our own ways, whereas actually the gospel says, no, 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 Christ has done it all. He's done every single bit of it. Faith is to rest in Him. I wonder, have you sat on that chair today? Have you sat and rested in the finished work of Christ today? Because see, today it's Father's Day. It's a day where for some of you, you celebrate because you've had a father who was incredible, who loved you, who empowered you, who gave you a good sense of work ethic, who gave you a sense of discipline and you grew up to be able to do plenty of things. Others of you have gone through life with a father in whom every day of the week, you're just trying to get his approval just trying to get his acceptance to say, I love you and you're doing everything you can, but you just can't win his approval. Others of you are here today mourning because you don't have a dad. Others of you are here whose dad was never around because of a one night stand and you feel bitter and annoyed that he left you. The gospels for every single one of us today no matter what kind of father you had, the gospel is for everyone and it's a gospel that sets us free. The gospel levels the playing field. See, Acts 16 just wants to instill in us a confidence of not doubt, but it wants us to instill a confidence in the gospel of Jesus that as we go, we will trust him. That the gospel is for everyone crosses all cultural divides that the gospel transforms it will really bring people from darkness to light and that the gospel is all powerful because see doubt is when we think it's in our power but it's in the power of Christ it's in the power of the gospel that we are changed that's what we're not ashamed of because see there's this beautiful picture here of Paul who the doors were opened wide and Paul and Silas could have gained their freedom that day. But Paul gave up his freedom so that the jailer could go free. And in a sense, I think that points to the beauty and the wonder of the gospel, 
of why it's so powerful because Jesus Christ would give up his freedom. He would give up his place in heaven so that a wealthy, beautiful woman with plenty of money, that a slave girl who has no name, no identity, no hope and stuck in a spiral of oppression and to a blue-collared worker who does everything in his own strength or could be set free in Christ. And so that here today, you too can find true freedom in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. May we not be ashamed. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's a great delight to us who in Christ have found it. Father, instill in us just a sense of confidence that it's in the gospel, that it's for everyone, that it transforms, and that it's, it's the power of God that brings salvation. Help us today to rest in that, not in our own strength, but to rest in our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.